We are back with another episode of the Black Box Podcast. I'm your host, John. And I'm your host, Ahmed. And today we have our, our good friend, Jordan Rothstein, as a, our special guest of the day. Um, we've called him a lot of names. Uh, we've called him Jordan. We've called him J-Town. But um, Jordan, Jordan's a really, like, a really interesting person, I guess, would be a good way to describe him. Um, he transferred to Stony Brook and randomly moved into the apartment that I was living in with uh, with a few of our other friends. And um, Jor- Jordan uh, did like applied math and economics in college and now works uh, in consulting doing um, some software work through like a climate oriented team. Sounds like a lot, but we're going to get into it very shortly, and uh, we know you guys are going to absolutely love it. So, I think uh, we should just jump right in. Let's get right into it. Hey guys, just wanted to shout out Zencaster, our platform of choice for recording remotely with our guests. Uh, they're sponsoring this episode, so tune in later to hear more about some really great offers. Hey y'all, we're really excited to tell you about Black Ice, the black-owned jewelry business owned by Sean Moore, uh, our previous guest on the Black Box podcast. If you think, if you think about it, Black Ice and like Black Box. It's like it's it's almost like it's meant to be exactly um yeah but you know we like to focus on investing in the show so you know we kind of look at it as we're partnering up with a asset class you know jewelry is considered an investment and with the you know stock market and crypto being pretty volatile right now and most for the most part going down um jewelry especially precious metals you know gold and silver those tend to preserve their value really well so you know that's also another reason why we think it's a a good opportunity. But also, you know, I've worked with Sean in the past. I got a gift for my mother actually for Mother's Day. It was a pretty, a relatively custom piece, nothing crazy, but, you know, Sean was quick. He was easy. He was responsive. The price was fair. And, you know, we just met up and transaction was easy and my mom loved the gift. So, yeah, if this all sounds good to you, check out Black Ice's website at Black Ice NYC um, and at all socials. And, uh, there's a V instead of an A for the black. So as you guys are probably used to with little letter substitutions by us, but you could find stock goods there. And Sean also specializes in custom goods with quick turnaround times. Yeah. Uh, Sean does great custom pieces. I've seen a bunch of them on his social media, but um, yeah, he's also good for sourcing, you know, like watches, specific Rolexes, anything like that they are looking for. He can also get you a better price and, you know, if you're going to, you know, a bigger name shop or someone that you don't really know that might try to gouge you on the price. So along with that, it's also supporting an upcoming entrepreneur. He's had a lot of success. He just celebrated his one year anniversary of the business, had a really nice party. And um, let's get back to the show. Yo, we got it. Oh, shit. I wasn't giving up. (laughs) Brave browser for the win, bro. Yeah, dude. I'll use that. Yeah, okay. Sucks. Uh, anyway, I mean, after some, uh, <laughs> wait, do you want to say something? I was, I was just gonna say, I feel like we should keep this in the recording. I, mean, I might keep it, or I'll keep a, a snippet of it. But um, 
All right, without further ado, and some technical difficulties that were impeding us, Jordan, thank you for coming on to the Black Box Podcast. Uh, you want to just introduce yourself, let everyone know how you know us and all that good stuff? Yeah, definitely. Everybody, my name is Jordan. Um, I was introduced to John and Ahmed here from Stony Brook University. I was a incoming transfer from the University of Connecticut, uh, and I came in, started off as a commuter student, didn't really like it that much. I think I did, uh, I think it was two semesters as a commuter. And then that spring of my sophomore year, I decided to transfer onto campus. I did a random uh, a random room search. I picked one room and it turned out that to blessed. be. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Turned out to be a room with um, Ahmed and, and everybody, uh, all his friends. That's how I met John. I was introduced to everybody in their fraternity and uh, really found a great group of people. That definitely changed my life for the better. Uh, so, Absolute yeah. gang of degenerates. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's definitely definitely a great time. Um, really helped me turn into the person I am today. So grateful for all you guys. Ooh, uh, awesome. That's like <laughs> funny, Rick. I uh, I studied math, um, applied math and economics, and uh, after after two and a half uh, electric years, I was grateful enough to graduate, get a job uh, working in consulting. Um, I originally started as a financial engineer working mostly on insurance products and it was definitely, it was fun and it was challenging, but I had an opportunity to join the climate change modeling team, which I jumped onto. And, uh, since from there, it's been about a year and a half. I've been about eight months on the climate change team. It's been a great time. And now, uh, now here we are. I feel like I missed the memo on when you change teams, but yeah, that sounds sick. you're still with PwC, right? Yeah. Yeah. Still with PwC. It was like an internal transfer. I'm still in like their risk modeling services, but the, uh, the other team, like the financial engineering team, wasn't growing. It was getting pretty stagnant. It just honestly, it wasn't very interesting. I wasn't, I wasn't really able to code as much as I wanted to, or as that I thought it was going to be as like a financial engineering role. It's just like a lot of Excel templates, which, you know. Yeah, you weren't really trying to. Yeah, I do remember you telling me that that you were only touching a little Python. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, that's sick. Um, I guess what made you want to become a financial engineer? Like, when did you know? What What was your major? I studied uh, or applied math and economics. Yeah, sorry, you said that. Did you know yeah. that that was the line you wanted to go into, and that's why you did that, or? Well, so I'm gonna say like my dream has like been uh, like ever since being at Stony Brook to become like first to work in client finance, and I got like an opportunity to become a financial engineer, and I thought that would be a good path to go down. Thought I was gonna be like in the coding, you know, doing like the uh, numerical analysis, learning those skills, and the uh, so I mean I had good exposure to to that world, but mostly in excel so it didn't really wasn't as much of uh it was it wasn't as much coding as i really wanted it to be so but i thought i mean everything i think is just like a stepping stone is hopefully i can get to the quant finance uh working at rent tech nice nice. (laughs) i guess i guess one question i have for you about your current job um like so i know you mentioned climate change and i feel like we've probably had this conversation in the past but I guess, could you explain to our listeners what climate change has to do with finance? Yeah, definitely. So uh, one, one of the biggest pieces of climate change or of like or climate change of finance is called finance emissions. So there's uh, there's like different accounting standards which quantify your asset portfolio and uh, how much like emissions you're financing. So if you were buying stock in an oil and gas company that has an associated amount of emissions with it. As opposed to like, if you're uh, buying stock in a renewables company, it's a much more, uh, much more like efficient for the for the portfolio. So something that 
like asset managers are starting to consider is their finance emissions. And especially with like the uh, upcoming disclosures from the SEC of like now these companies are, have to, are having to disclose how much emissions are they actually financing. So it's, uh, it's putting a lot of risk on their like on their portfolio. And I mean, ultimately, oil and gas stocks, companies love them because or like asset managers love them is because they always have high yield. That's because everybody needs energy. Like energy is what powers everything that we're doing. So they're uh, uh, so so now they're trying to transition away. And, and the real interesting part is how companies are thinking about optimizing their portfolio to reduce their emissions and really kind of transition out of oil and gas. But where do you replace that yield that you're losing from? So um, there's there's been like there's a lot of uh, or there's coming out with a, a lot of uh, organizations that have like target setting frameworks, which is mostly what I help to like implement against. Um, so the, these companies that say like, if you want to reach a net zero portfolio by 2050, you have to hit like these emissions reduction targets along the line. So we kind of help, uh, at least in my role now, we, we, a lot of like these asset managers don't really know about it. So as a consultant, we explain to them what it is. We help like implement the target setting and then we help, uh, help them with their path to achievement and optimize. Gotcha. I got, nice. I got two questions. Um, one is this also kind of play into how companies now can like buy carbon offset? Is it yeah. kind of play into that? All right. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, yes. Yeah, so carbon yeah. offset is big. Like people are, or companies are trading carbon offsets. There's a new, I forgot what it was called. Um, there's a, it's like a blockchain solution of carbon offsets. The thing is called Energy Web, and they have like a, pretty much a, like a decentralized platform for companies to buy offsets, and they. Uh, and like through the blockchain, they're validated as being like reputable offsets. Like they have to hit a certain number of criteria, which is it's uh, it's pretty cool. That's fine. Looked at that. Haven't haven't done anything with that with companies. Even though in a way, I feel like it's mo- mostly just them giving money for their bad decisions. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, exactly. It's also like it's it's oh, you're doing like you're doing good by buying this offset, but you're still you know, causing the emissions. So like. I don't know. Something with carbon offsets is like, how much carbon can we offset? You know, like, I, feel yeah. like, I don't think that's a. We're still doing the damage, but like, it's, I, I know it eventually makes its or quote unquote makes its way down the line to someone actually doing something or like, like doing something that offsets carbon emissions, or it invests money into research for more efficient things. Like in one of those ways, it's helping, but it's more like, all right, I'm just going to prolong this problem and pay people off and. There's also probably tax benefits to doing that too for the company. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I think there's. Yeah. There's. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely efficiencies that you get you with buying carbon. I think it's it's probably tax. Yeah, I, I can just see that. But um, I, I don't have fact on that, but I can definitely just see that being the case. Um, the other thing was, so you're a consultant. Are you like working for another company that hired you to work for them, or are you still? Yeah, kind of. So I mean, it's uh, so. It's consulting. I mean, it is. So we get, we companies, like the pretty much the whole process is like a company comes, they send out like a request. We put together a proposal with our skills and then we, they sign a contract and, and we work. Oh, so we're not, okay. we don't get paid. We're not like, I'm not like hired by a, a company to work for them. We like, we get contracted out pretty much projects that have like defined deliverables. And that's kind of how we, uh, how we operate. So like, like at a time, like I could be working on like three to four different projects and, you know, it might be like 10 hours a week on one, 20 on another. Um, so there could be like, there's a lot of like switching between different projects, but they're all in the same lane. 
So that's kind of kind of the part that keeps it exciting, you know, because like I'm, I'm definitely I'm working on like different things, different problems, but you know, at the same time, it's it's a little hectic at like working on different projects. The yeah. more projects you work on, the more people want to talk about it. So it's like yeah, yeah. I feel like I feel like meetings are one of those things where basically everyone agrees that we need to reduce meetings. Like um, <laughs> at my company, this upcoming week we have no meeting week. So like, unless you're setting up a meeting with like an, a, an external like partner or with another team or something, or if you like absolutely like you have a business critical meeting, then it's expected that you cancel all of your meetings for the week so that you could focus on your work. But, um, yeah, no, I, pretty, I honestly, What's up? I feel like that would be. You've never. I, I haven't heard of no meeting week. That I feel like that would be super helpful. Yeah, we also have no meeting Fridays. Like where the expectation is that you don't you don't put meeting on meetings on people's calendars on Fridays unless they're absolutely necessary. But like don't put, we have, don't push code on Fridays. <laughs> the issue. Yeah. The issue is that like. Most, I feel like most of the time, like with, unless it's like a recurring meeting, people like people wouldn't be setting up a meeting if it wasn't necessary in their eyes, right? Because nobody want nobody wants to just spend an hour like like meeting over something rather than working on that thing. But maybe some people would. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Some people I work with, I think they love meetings. We just talk in circles. It's like the same yeah. meeting every day. Right. Yeah, like a lot of weekly recurring meetings. Unless you know how to make a weekly recurring meeting, just be like, all right, new items, any questions. Otherwise, we're done. We're cutting it at like five minutes. Otherwise, you spend yeah. that whole 30 minutes to an hour just talking about the same thing, going over the same questions, That where, where everything works like for your career and how it lays out. Yeah, definitely. Well, so, so at, at uh, UConn, I, uh, I was actually supposed to be a civil engineer just because I was in, I was an army ROTC. I was like, I'll be a civil engineer work and build bridges. Yeah. Um, that, uh, that didn't work out as I planned. I took one chem class and absolutely bombed it because I could not get a chem. And then I was like, uh, I don't think it's the right place for me. So I switched, uh, and I was like, I'm good at math. The grade in the math classes. That's where <laughs> I kind of, I thought that that's where, uh, you know, my strong suit was. And, and in, for, in terms of coding, I've, uh, like I said a little bit earlier, I've always had a passion for quantitative finance. And, you know, like one of the first things I did, I think it was like around uh, sophomore year of college, probably freshman year, I was always just trying to make like a trading algorithm. I was like, how can I, you know, automate trades? And especially like back then, I didn't know anything about trading, but I thought I could. I was like, the idea of having a computer system do it, I just think is like the probably like the best way to do it. And then especially when I came to Stony Brook, just the allure of like Renaissance technology, James Simons. It's like, you know, it's just yeah. super exciting. It's, uh, yeah, it's like it's how that, uh, how dope yeah. could you make like fi- like f- quantitative finance? Basically, I remember. Yeah, I remember at some point because um, I I remember like we've we've talked about this and known this about each other for a while. But I also did applied math, and I at there was at some point in college I was considering doing like uh, post-grad in applied math. So I went and talked with like some of the professors that did it. And like, basically they were telling me, yeah, no, if you want to 
get into like renaissance like you kind of need a phd either that or you just yeah. have to be an absolute fucking genius right an <laughs> yeah yeah but um yeah no it, it was crazy because that was the reason that the math program at stony brook was so highly ranked and all of that was almost solely because of the simon center and renaissance and all that yeah definitely i mean they just pump money in just so that they can farm the best candidates yeah you know i mean they like the the yield like the medallion fund itself is it's one of the like, it's one of the most profitable hedge funds ever and nobody knows how it works which is is it all like i've been reading no one's yeah reading yeah it's it? all like, no, I, I think it is i mean who knows okay. it could just be it could be random but that's what they say like i'm reading a book right now it's called the man who solved the market it's like about uh how renaissance you know it came to be in james simon's path it's pretty it's pretty really? interesting and they make a lot of, yeah they make a lot of references to stony brook so it's like oh i know north country road they like talk about his office and everything so oh, it, it, it's pretty cool what's nice. the name of the book nice. uh the man who solved the market the man who solved the market yeah it's pretty it's pretty interesting you know uh, uh everybody oh, I'm, sorry, I'm sorry go ahead <laughs> Oh, no, I was just everybody like when I when I like walk around with it at my home, like my parents see it and they're like, "Why are you reading this?" <laughs> it's like all math symbols on the front. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I I remember um, I remember hearing also that Frey Hall was I I, I forget um, his first name. I think it was like Robert Frey or something like that. He worked uh, f- he worked for Renaissance during like the early days. And then did his own thing, started his own hedge fund, and that's why he also has a building named after him at Stony Brook. So it's like, yeah. And I feel like I feel like th- these kinds of things aren't really like expressed to Stony Brook students that like directly, right? You kind of have to like find it out through some ways. Instead, there I feel like they're so focused on like podcasting remotely can be challenging, but with Zencaster, the process becomes much easier. Zencaster is an all-in-one web-based solution that makes the process pretty painless and simple. Um, Zencaster allows to bring you guys, our listeners, the best quality by providing crystal clear audio and gorgeous HD video when we record with our guests. Uh, Zencaster is also easy to use for new users and guests. So, you know, when we have people on the podcast who haven't used a platform before, we pretty much just tell them to show up with a computer, mic, and uh, headphones, and you're pretty much good to go. Um, Zencaster is pretty plug and play, uh, but from local recording to automated post-production tools, you don't even have to leave the browser to finish off your episode. Use the code zen.ai slash blackbox and enter our promo code blackbox. You'll get 30% off the first three months of Zencaster Pro. It's time to share your story. Like, yo, like we got like this zebra path or some random. They created the MRI at Tony Brook Hospital. Yeah. They have the... They have the MRI prototype in the lobby of the chemistry yep. building. Yeah, I saw that. I'm saying Sony, a lot of crazy stuff came out of Sony Brook. But yeah, you're right. It's also like a, a few successful, not a few, a lot of successful people came out of there and they were able to get good money into there and then create these really good programs. You know, same with computer science, yeah. which is, you know, like I feel like AMS and, and computer science go hand in hand in a lot of cases, like yours specifically. Yeah. You're... Yeah, I guess. Um, so, like, how? I get however much you can talk about it. How much you like? Are in what ways are you using the code to like create these models for you? 
for like or trading? for trading or for what you're doing at work too. Oh, all right, yeah. I mean, for well, I guess I guess I, yeah. Some of the trading stuff I've done, uh, like I've always, you know, like, from work, what I found a lot, like, uh, like nothing comes out of the box that works. You know, it's a lot of testing. It's all like systematic testing. So like. I've always been like super interested in like moving averages and being able to like scalp trades as yeah. they go up. But like, thinking of how you can get a computer to, you know, figure out like what is the best set of moving averages for some time frame for some ticker. So I've been like, you know, I, I've tried to do things, but I never I, like the time that it takes to fine tune something. I feel like I just spend a lot more time just building my skill and being able to implement an algorithm I find than you know like kind of really hammering it down. Like I, like I've done especially. You know, like like if I if I come up with a strategy, I can get something that's profitable on a back test, and then like I you, like you run it like as a test live with you know like they have like paper trading accounts that simulate like slippage and, and everything, but and then everything just like goes down the drain. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So. Yeah. You know, so I mean, it's fun. It's it's something I do on the side, um, and something that I've been trying to do recently. I've been working. Uh, I was I was messaging you. Uh, John about this a few days ago is trying to use computer vision to identify like you know like certain uh, basically price getting it to read the like chart symbol. for you. Yeah, exactly. Like just getting it to read the shape and say is that a head and shoulders? Like because I feel like I mean and I and I have very little experience with machine learning, so it's uh, I think this is like a good project just to get me you know involved in machine learning and, and computer vision. You can train the model because uh, in my head, yeah, like in my head I think like because like I. You know, I spent like four hours a few days ago, just like, like they have like, uh, especially like TensorFlow, they have like image classification. So like I can, I can feed it and, you know, uh, like I trained the model within a few hours, but, and then like I'll put through like live data, you know, it doesn't work. So it's just about like getting into the details. Nothing works right out of the box. Yeah. Um, no, I feel like, I feel like any, anyone who's in software, like does anything related to software could probably attest to the fact that even even if you're able to do something in like let's say in like x hours you will need like 2x or 3x time because you need time to debug your code and then test your code and all yeah. of that well also like jordan said too you can get something working like mvp they call it like minimum viable product like first but then in order to get it to a point where it's like ready to actually use for a consumer or for a real live like data set, you need way more time to like tweak the small thing. So yeah. Yeah. I think this would also be a kind of cool point to talk about uh, machine learning and a little uh, touch on it a little bit, just because uh, I feel like most people, when yeah. you think AI or machine learning, they think like something's becoming alive, like something's gaining a, like the ability to think for itself. When in reality, like that's not the case at all in machine learning and, artificial intelligence you're pretty much taking it's kind of like how the human brain works where you have like a self-feedback loop like when you've done something you've never done before you're going to do it a few times or do it a handful of times then you're going to internalize every time you do it and then make small changes to your approach until you get the result you want that's the same thing as machine learning you're just feeding it large sets of data training it on like an equation or a model or like the ability for it to take the data and process it into something else. But because you, when you're training a model, you have the, the data that you put into it and you already have the output data. So you know what the output should be. So then you take 
you put it through the system, you see what the output from the system is, and you compare it against what the actual output is. You take the deltas between the two or some type of analytical delta between the two, and then you change the equation slightly until it continues to get closer and closer to the actual result. So that, yeah, no, I, yeah, no, no, you go. I was just going to say, I, I remember I did a little bit of machine learning in one of the classes I took and it was in Python. I, the, the only thing is like, I feel like for the most part, the perf, it was a business class, not like a computer science class. So the focus was on the business use case of machine learning rather than the actual like computer science behind it. But um, yeah, we were using like functions in Python and you would have to like train, train um, your model with some tr- like a train data set. And then you would have some like test data that you could use and then you could give it some data and see what you get basically. Are you doing that at, at your job or it's more like you're creating a model that just inputs data and outputs it and you know that that model should work? And you're doing tests prior, but you're not training it to work right on its own. I mean, uh, like a lot of things, at, like at work, we use, you know, like, because like, so besides like the finance emissions work, I do work like with climate modeling. Um, like my team has a bunch of climate scientists with their PhDs and how hurricanes form and storms and everything. So they understand like the physics behind these systems. And like they'll even say they're super complex. Like, like we, we might know, but we don't, we don't really know. So a lot of the use case, there's some of the use case for like uh, machine learning is using like cluster analysis, to, you know, identify strong predictors in a data set. Once you identify the strong predictors, then you could use like some sort of like a, like a simpler model, even like some sort of regression model on the strong predictors that, you know, that makes sense and that you can explain. Like one of the biggest things, one of the biggest issues with machine learning is interpretability. Like you might get something that's super accurate and works, but like if you're trying to sell it and somebody asks like, how does it work? What's the me- mechanics behind it? It's a, it's a little bit of a black box. Aha. Ooh, Ooh. black box. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so, and like, I don't know, I've, there's been a lot of success that I've seen with just regular like regression models. You know, you could explain the input, the output, you can explain the relationship between it. You know, cause like uh, a lot of the work that we do as like a consultant firm is we, we have to deliver this like product to the client, right? And they, they care about the results, but they also need to understand the, like understand how we got there. Because a lot of the times it's like, like we're working with the ESG sub team of a, like a corporation. They have to present their results to, you know, higher up. And if they're like, okay, based on this model, like this machine learning model, we have to, yeah. you know, like remove all of our offices from California because they think there's going to be a wildfire. They're going to be like, why? Like what's the what's the input and the output? You know, sometimes it's hard to stand on a machine learning as evidence, but you know, there's it's super accurate at the same time. But it sounds yeah. actually really fucking sick. You guys got openings? It's definitely, <laughs> yeah. I actually yeah. I mean, we do. It's a lot. Like I I fell into a position where you know they like I'm working like with like like they're hiring everybody around me does like GIS, like, it's like geospatial mapping and stuff. And it's like, I, I don't have any experience with maps. I don't really know how hurricanes are formed. So I like kind of fell in as like a coder. Like I'm like, yeah. I just developed for them. Um, so I'm getting a lot of this like exposure, which is, which is really cool. Um, but you know, a lot for me, like the exciting part that I see is uh, being able to convert certain things like the financial damages and like 
how's it going to affect, uh, affect their asset portfolio? Because like climate change is only going to get bigger, like especially as an injury, sorry, as an industry. So, you know, I think that this could be. Uh, I think it's good for good for career growth. Like I, I was thinking about finding a new job and, and trying to leave, but uh, like I definitely like enjoy the company. There's a lot of good benefits, and now I'm doing something that's a little bit more exciting than you know plug and chug and Excel templates. So it's uh, it's been a lot of fun. I'll say, um, what. I guess, could you describe your path a little bit of like end of college, finding the job, like what it, a candidate in your area, like what are they looking for? So just so if anyone in the audience like wants to go that way, they could have an idea. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, so I was super lucky and like super grateful that I was able to get an offer. i come right out of college. I ended up because I, I was, uh, I'm a year younger than John Ahmed. So I was, I was my junior, my junior year spring semester was when COVID hit. So I lost that, like I lost that semester and then pretty much the whole next year was gone. So I decided that I was going to, I was, I had enough credits. So I graduated a semester early in that December. Um, and I was just, you know, I found the job opening, I applied and they, uh, you know, in the interview process, since I was like interviewing for the financial engineering role, I think they were looking for somebody who was good at Python. And since it was, it was specifically for insurance companies. It was they wanted somebody who was interested like in insurance. So like I expressed interest in insurance. I've taken a few of the actuarial exams um, due to some of the classes that I took at Thony Brook. And, you know, it was uh, like the, the, one of the biggest things that I think was helpful for me was just being able to explain side projects that I've worked on, you know, because like anybody can explain their their experience in school, like what they've learned, the classes they took and the projects they've done there. But I don't know. I think a lot of value comes from when like these companies see like initiative and working at something that's, you know, not necessarily like you're being told to by the school yeah. in an assignment. It's like you're interested in applying. It's like they can see yeah. passion. Yeah, exactly. So that's, uh, that's what I think helped me. Helped me a it, yeah. I would also, I feel like besides just the, um, like the fact that with side projects, you could learn skill, like all of these different skills that you might not otherwise learn in your classes. But it also shows like some level of discipline and self accountability. Because when you do something that nobody is really holding you, like a side project, for instance, nobody is going to be staying on top of you, make giving you like homework or due dates or anything like that. So, like, that's all on you, however, you want to prioritize and organize your time to do something so i feel like having side projects when you're applying to a job or applying to anything really is just could only be beneficial yeah just passion it's a, i think it's a great way to develop skills like when anybody whenever anybody asks me like how should i learn python like they have like courses you can watch youtube videos but like i think like apply it to something that you that you like you know, like implement, like try to, you know, research Google, like you can figure out how to do just about everything. Like I'd say a lot of my job is like debugging, going through code. So stack overflow is my best Love me stack overflow. You know, it's like, it's how, yeah. I mean, it's like a lot of it's just like how efficiently can you Google? Like that's probably one of the biggest skills I've gained from college is like, how can I identify a problem and then how do I find a solution? To it? So, but I will say that definitely I wish I took advantage of is that like taking some computer science classes because I coming from like I didn't have a you know like a school taught coding background but I like taught myself Python I was proficient enough to do it but like efficiency and like data structures and like something that I've run into is you know like 
I can I can write so like I, I'm very confident in fact like I can write a code that solves any problem, but I can't do it That's the most I'm efficient at, way yeah. a lot of the times. Which is like I feel like if you study co- like CompSci, you know like okay we well, could do it like this. Be, uh, yeah, Owen Owen squared a lot and log in. Yeah, I, I feel the same exact way because I took um it was the machine learning uh graduate elective for uh, computer engineering when I was finishing up the masters. I instead of doing yeah. it in MATLAB, I chose to do every uh, every one of the projects in Python just to like push myself, which was dumb because there could have all easily been done in like f- fifty lines or less in MATLAB, and I ended up writing 100, 200 lines of code each time for Python. But either way, I was like <laughs> by the end because it was image manipulation and stuff like manipulating pixels, doing uh, I guess regression and things like that on the sets, but it was like random ifs everywhere. Like, you know, when, when you're really trying, it's different for school because you can't present that for a job, but when you're really just trying to brute force a, a code to work at the end of a project, you're adding anything in. <laughs> that shit gets crazy. Yeah. And th- but then you can't debug it when it goes awry. I'm, so then you're just like, fuck. Yeah. I remember the days in the library. It was like you, uh, yeah, just like, Grinding on code. Me grinding. I love you, Zed. You're not listening to this. I know you're not, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. for sure. No, I love it though. That's the thing. Like, even the projects I'm working on now, once I get that problem solved that I haven't been able to fix for a few days, it's like, yeah. I'll r- run around the house screaming. Like, I've never, I never do that for anything. I'll just be yeah. dumb hype. My parents are like, yo, what the fuck? <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's, rough. You know, it, it's like I don't know, like I can say it's similar to like if you're like gambling, like the rush you get when something works and hits, it's for me at least it's similar, and it could just be like like my screen flashing blue now. And I'm just yeah, like, yes, yeah. no, I feel that. And how often do you feel like you run into that at this position now? Is it like often because it's new, or it's like you're kind of doing the same thing? It's just like a unique issue along the way that you might run into. You're or saying like efficiency or like running into problems, problems. like just so, bugs and things that you can't solve for a day or two. Yeah. Or it's... Well, now, so it's definitely, you know, so my team, it's grown really fast. So it started off like when I switched to it, it was just like three of us on the model development team. And now it's like 20 and we have like all these PhDs. So it's gotten a lot easier in the sense of like, I have more resources to like be like, hey, this isn't working. Because one of the biggest things that I think is beneficial with coding is having a team. Because I can work, look at a code and I'll be like, like I've spent hours on this, it's not working, and I get, send it to someone. They're like, oh, like this variable is spelled wrong, so you're not calling it. And it's just so it's, it's always the little thing. So you know, I feel like I definitely run into I definitely I say, I mean, I run into like the smaller issues less. But now, as like the projects that we're working on get more complex, the issues that we have are a little bit different. So it's more of like collaborative than I'm like I'm not just I'm working on something, but in you have you know, a team environment, other so developers, it's, uh, like. Yeah, so like strictly Python developers, there's two of us, but all the climate scientists know Python, so they've like like they've done their postdocs using Python and stuff. So it's and they they pretty much lay out the methodologies like very well. I mean, a lot of it's just like research, like just like they read a paper, like some new paper on how to predict hurricanes, and then they say, okay, we use like these variables. This like they they explain it very well, which is why uh, and it makes like, no, our I, better. that's like a different type of coding style too because for my capstone for senior year i had to do some like 
room temperature modeling for like a room if there was like heaters placed in different areas and how the rays would affect the overall temperature of the room and shit. It was a really cool project, but that was more like I'd read a research paper, figure out like these equations that I thought would fit best to like model this. You know, you take the data, the the variables as inputs, calculate them, do your modeling, which is way different than like web application development. We're doing like APIs oh, yeah. and things like that. But all right, I know we're running a little bit short on time, so I don't want to keep chatting about that too much. Um, I guess to wrap it up, Ahmed, if you have another question, you could ask that too. But what's like one thing that if you could share with anyone in terms of like, you know, about your job, about, you know, coding, about anything, like what's one thing you think that people, if they're interested in getting into a career of your type or software development in general, like, like something that they should try? Yeah, that, that's a good question. Um, you know, one of the best things, or I guess what's the one I thing think, that, like, that you know, clicked like for you of- and then you were like, all right, this like is easier now, like. Cause you know, when you first start things, it's like, holy shit, coding is crazy. Like, yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I think it's a lot of it is just, you know, like I try not to, I mean, it's just persistence. Like the amount of times that I could have said, like, I'm going to stop here because you know, like it's too hard. I can't do it. Um, it's uh, like, cause I, I ran it. I did run into that a lot in the beginning. Like I, I pulled some pretty late hours and I, would it like if I studied comp sci in college, I definitely wouldn't have needed to put in that much time. So it's, you know, like overcoming, like once you overcome that learning curve, once you get past it, it gets a lot easier. Um, and then it's a lot of the people like I've surrounded myself with, like I've, I've asked a lot of questions to people. Like if I, if I can't figure something out, um, one of the best things is just, you know, ask questions to people, ask the, to the right people. Having a good network is, is super helpful. But I say just, you know, keep going. As uh, cliche as it no, is. not cliche. I think that was a good way to put it. Ahmed, do you have anything else? Yeah, just one one last uh, follow up to that. I guess what's uh, what do you want to do next? Like, do you think that you want to keep doing something similar to what you're doing? Maybe not um, specifically related to climate, but that same. Is it is it all considered financial engineering still? No, I'd say like I've fallen now more under like ESG, like like on like an ESG team. But I mean, definitely what I I want to, you know, like uh, I want to I want to keep going. I want to stay in finance if I can go into like sustainable sustainable quantitative finance. You know, like it's like quantitative finance is it's super specialized and it's a uh, you need like certain skills. But now like I might not be the best coder, but I have a good understanding of like asset portfolios and coming on with like the climate knowledge that I have like. I, uh, I feel like it's it's setting me up for a good path to go into some sort of quantitative investment. But now being able to specialize specifically on the sustainability piece um, is uh, is where I want to be. And also, you know, it feels like I'm doing something good because it's, it's these companies that have like multi-billion dollar asset portfolios that are really funding the oil and the gas companies. It's not like somebody buying six gallons of gas for their car. It's uh, it's so like where change happens, it happens with like these big corporations. So. That's it. That's where I'm hopefully I want to go. Awesome, bro. You know, it seems like you're setting yourself up, like getting the right bits of experience so that you'll be ready to be a candidate for your ideal job. I think that's a good lesson for people yeah. like in their twenties, early twenties is like, you know, if your job's not giving you like, find out what you really want to do. And if you can't do that right away, then figure out what jobs and experience you need to grab so you can get there. 
pretty much it. But uh, I know you got to go. You got a little dinner reservation, a little resi. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so we, we, could, we could wrap it up. Um, Jordan, thank you, obviously. It's been good talking to you. I know too many months went by where we didn't really catch up that much. But I'm glad you, you're doing well. Yeah. You got everything going on. Good team. You learned some good shit. Uh, yeah. I'm in. It's been a pleasure. Thank, Thank you. For you. All right. I guess uh, J Town. I'll uh, I'll send this out. Um, <laughs> you guys all know where to find us at Black Box Podcast. No A in the black. Uh, Thank you. Thank you, J Town. And uh, everyone, we will see you next week. Peace.